Ion 2020, episode 211. Have 2020 vision with Ion 2020, your source for the news and events in the lead up to the 2020 presidential election. I am Ray Eaton, and I will keep you up to date daily until November 2020 with a libertarian perspective on the candidates and their policies, along with the news. Thank you for joining me. Now let's clear our vision. I'm telling you guys, I'm listening to C-SPAN earlier today. No, it wasn't C-SPAN. It was uh, CNBC. And they were playing the whole grilling of Mark Zuckerberg in the um, in the House of Representatives. I guess they were having some kind of hearing or something like that of the House Ways and Means Committee or one of those stupid committees that they have out there. And they were just grilling this guy. And if this guy, if, if Mark Zuckerberg does not become a libertarian after all this, if he does not realize how incompetent our our Congress is, how incompetent the politicians are, just how inept they are at their jobs, then uh, and start to realize that maybe libertarianism is a better way of doing things, then the guy must not be as brilliant as you think he is because those people were just completely inept. They were asking the stupidest questions about Facebook. I mean, it was just the most random thing. Like, they were accusing him of Facebook being sexist because one of the things you can do is you can advertise and one of the drop downs is guy or or male or female. So they're saying, oh, that's sexist because you can leave out females or leave out males. And then if it asks, and it doesn't ask anything about race on there, but they were accusing it of being inherently racist as well. Uh, redlining. I don't know if you guys know what redlining is, but it's like what the banks used to do way back when, when they would you know, draw red lines around certain areas of cities and say we don't do loans in this area. So they're accusing him of redlining through Facebook. They're accusing him, uh, or not him specifically, but Facebook of just being racist and misogynistic and sexist. And what are you doing to curtail that? What are you doing to stop people from, you know, for like if they're advertising a house, you cannot advertise the house to people who are making $50,000 or more, like, you can't do that, I mean, it's just amazing that you can't, like, that they want to take away the control of your own business and how you're going to advertise, because there are ways to advertise to people that make over $50,000 a year, there's things that you can do to advertise to them specifically, but Facebook is getting grilled on that, you can advertise to people that are high-income earners, if you get a mailing list, you can sort it based upon the amount of money that somebody makes. You could sort it based upon race for all, you know, in some ways as well. Like, there's ways to figure that stuff out. And businesses are going to do stuff like that. That's true. And uh, they were just calling him. They were saying that Facebook is racist. And they just kept on getting on him about that. And it se- and they said, how many civil rights, how many, civil, how many people are employed by your company that... Are make are, that care about civil rights or not? That don't care about, but in charge of civil rights on your platform. And he's like, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> how would he know? I mean, do they hire a civil rights attorney for the business? Uh, do they hire a 
it was just the most random things that they were asking. I was just listening. I was just laughing. But then they were also getting into the new uh, Facebook, that little altcoin that they're putting together. I forget what it's called. Uh, but they kept on asking about that as well. And they were talking about innovation. He says that, you know, America needs to be ahead of the game on the innovation. Um, and when I was when I was hearing all that, I was thinking to myself, this is what people do in the crony world in order to get favors, right? Like, they want to get, like, Mark Zuckerberg wants to get these politicians on his side because it's going to enrich him. And also, they're going to create laws around what he's doing, so it's going to keep other actors out. It's going to keep other competitors out. It's anti-competitive practice by Mark Zuckerberg Zuckerberg by doing this. He's going to be able to get them to regulate in what the way that he wants them to regulate. And that is, that's going to help him to have a more of a monopoly on his private altcoin that he's going to use on their platform. And he said he's not going to do anything unless the regulators approve it. And they were all happy about that, of course. But they kept on saying, oh, then the one other thing that one of the guys asked is, well, tell me about the board of directors of this. And it's a, it's a, Whatever the coin is called, they have a they have an association. It's like a nonprofit organization that's in charge of it. And he says there's 20 people or 20 companies that are on this board of directors of this particular coin, and getting the getting this uh, coin approved and getting this coin out there as a product. And they said, well, how many of those people are female? And Mark Zuckerberg is like, I don't know. How many of those companies are run by female? management uh he's like i don't know how many of them are of a minority race or a minority status is what they said and and mark zuckerberg again i have no idea guys i don't know i'd have to look into that let me look into that for you but like they're so preoccupied with that stuff and um but it's, it's because they're going for the regulation and these you know these politicians they have to put their little seal of approval on everything. It's the croniest way. And you know what? Mark Zuckerberg is totally okay with that. He's going to make sure that it goes that way as well because it's going to help him to keep competitors out down the road. It really will. It really will. What does the Congress have to do with an altcoin in the first place that Facebook is putting out? What's it matter? Why do they have to regulate it? It's a financial asset, and there's a lot of regulation within the Wall Street industry, and there's a lot of regulation that goes along with um, payments and cross-country payments and all that stuff. Oh, there was a couple times where one of the Congress people was like threatening Mark Zuckerberg and saying, bringing up Bertie Madoff and saying he was a legitimate businessman, appeared to be a legitimate businessman. He had lots of rich Wall Street executives on his side that were investors in his business and it turned out to be a 250 or no a 55 billion dollar ponzi scheme and now he's in prison better hope that that's not you is basically what they said i mean it was just absolutely crazy they were calling him a i mean it was just uh, it was just a very interesting interesting conversation that they were having i was listening for a while and then finally i was just like you know what I gotta turn this off because I was just getting sick of sick of hearing politicians talk in the first place. So I moved on from that. So we'll move on from that specific topic as well. Um, 
you guys would probably be completely bored of your mind listening to that. I always like to listen to different things when Congress is grilling a damn financial executive or grilling different business leaders around the world. Or uh, I, I really love it when they start like interviewing baseball players over the M- MBA or the Major League Baseball um, doping scandals and stuff like why does Congress have to have any involvement in any of that stuff in the first place except to have grandstanding going on saying I stood up for the little man that's what they're that's the only thing that they're doing is they can go back to their constituents and say I stood up to Mark Zuckerberg and here's some photo ops that I had of him giving him a hard time about this stuff so um moving on though I will get off of that subject again like I said but um this morning this morning and I am recording this late at night on uh Wednesday night so you'll be hearing this so actually for you guys it's going to be yesterday morning about 24 hours ago um the Republicans went in and stormed this closed door meeting that the Democrats were having over the whole impeachment proceeding now I remember I I, I was flipping through some channels the other night and I hear Sean Hannity going crazy about how it's all done in secret, and they're having these closed-door meetings that no one's allowed into, and they're keeping the Republicans out, and they're keeping, you know, only Democrats are allowed in, certain ones, and all this stuff, and they're going over all this evidence that they supposedly have that they don't really have, and Sean Hannity was getting pissed that it was a closed-door meeting, that they were doing it all in secret, way outside of the norm of what was being done under the Clinton administration when they were doing the impeachment proceedings then. And they, he was saying, and the Republicans followed the way that they did it under, the Democrats did it when they impeached Nixon. And they were following the same procedures. And Democrats now are going way outside of that norm, the established procedure that they had. And they're doing closed-door meetings, and he was pissed. And all that stuff got riled up, I guess, because now the Republicans go in there and they just bash down the door and they make it a point that they're going to take action. That they're going to get in there and they're going to storm the closed door meeting. So I don't know what information they got. I have no idea. It was just a little bit of something that went on. Um, It does make you think, though, because we're libertarians. We're pretty skeptical of government in the first place. I know I am. I know a lot of you guys are as well. And it makes you wonder, like, when they're doing these closed door meetings, it harkens back to the idea of, like, the closed door meetings with the smoke-filled rooms and all that, making deals. And it makes you wonder, like, what are they putting together in there? What are they doing? They're doing these desperate, you know, they're questioning people. How hard are they being on these people? Do they have lawyers present? Like, what's going on? That's That's what you wonder. And it makes you think, is there something going on that's a little bit fishy? I don't know. I don't know. It should be done in public, though in some ways that's my feeling on it because it is a public entity our federal government that's doing it so it just makes me think you probably should do it in the open so it doesn't lead to any questions like what i'm having right now i'm not defending trump by any means i'm not defending him saying he's innocent guilty or whatever i don't know i don't know all i know is that it does seem slightly fishy and they're doing over, there's it's a witch hunt in some ways. Maybe there's some people that are trying to find the truth. It's possible. 
I mean, it's, it's very possible they're trying to find the truth. But it's more possible, it's more likely that it's a partisan thing that's going on and they're just going to do everything they can to get Trump kicked out of office. They really are. His numbers are not terrible, but they're not exactly good either. So uh, you can't really say can't really say too much about Donald Trump except for I mean it's not really affecting him too terribly, but it is it is getting him a little bit. You know, like his poll numbers are slightly down in some ways. Like his approval rating is still above forty though. A lot of these places, so. I don't know if it's really hurt him too much. Okay, so Quinnipiac poll, I saw one that comes out, or four of them came out, the approval rating. Quinnipiac has him 38% approved, 58% disapprove. Politico, 41% approved, 56% disapprove. Rasmussen, who Rasmussen's been the one that's like a little bit higher than most of them anyway. 44% approved, 53% disapprove. But that's about normal. And if you um, if you look at Rasmussen... It also tracks Barack Obama during the same amount of time as well. And usually Donald Trump is going, like, Donald Trump three years into his presidency versus versus Barack Obama three years into the presidency, it usually shows them kind of going right along, right in line together. So um, maybe that's just the way presidents are as they hover around that 30, you know, that 40 to 50% number all the time. That's possible. Every every since I've been looking at this, it's always been around that forty four percent on Rasmussen. But on the other ones, specifically, you know, Quinnipiac is pretty low, so that's kind of hard. To t- that's kind of hard to tell where where they're at. If if they're, it depends upon who they're questioning. It depends. A lot of times, there's a huge amount of discrepancy about around how many women answer the phone versus how many men answer the phone. Like, I've always seen a lot of these, it'll be like 60% women, 40% male that answered the phone. And you're like, well, in America, it's, you know, I think there's, it's like 51 to 49%, 51% women, 49% male. And women overwhelmingly disapprove of Trump more than men do, is what I've found. And then if you get into the race as well, like white men approve of Donald Trump a little bit more than white women and uh, black men, or white men approve of Donald Trump more than black men, or minority men, Hispanic men, and so forth. So it's kind of hard to tell when you look at a lot of these polls as well. So I don't take too much into account into those. The polls said that Hillary Clinton was going to beat the pants off of Donald Trump, and Donald Trump still won. So anyway, um, but there wasn't really a lot of news going on, and I, I, I'm always trying to scour the news to try to find as much possible information that I can for you guys so you can know what's going on with the candidates. A lot of the candidates, I think, are trying to lay low right now in between these uh, these debates. I think that they're out there doing their doing their thing. You know, they're going to be out there um, knocking on doors, doing, sh- doing events and things like that, um, just getting out there, trying to remain undercover. I know Tulsi Gabbard is really trying to, uh, what would be the word for it? She's really trying to egg Hillary Clinton on. She's trying to milk. That's what she's trying to do. She's trying to milk this Hillary Clinton thing as much as she possibly can. Like, she's been on Twitter, and she had another statement saying, you know, calling out Hillary Clinton for being still being the queen of the warmongers and still, you know, having a bad foreign policy, and you need to denounce your foreign policy and all that. 
I mean, it's really interesting that she's going to do that. But she's a politician. She's going to make sure that she remains relevant as long as possible. And she's going to bring up those little things that got her a little bit of uh, a little bit of uh, attention on the news. Because the more attention she gets, the better, right? Absolutely. The more attention that she gets, the better. That's how all politicians are. I mean, that's what they're going to try to do. So we'll see if it helps her in the polls. I don't know. I guess we'll start seeing polls in the next week or so, though, that show Tulsi Gabbard whether, you know, Hillary Clinton helped out or not. Supposedly, a few of the Democratic candidates rushed to her defense and said, you know, it's wrong that Hillary Clinton called you a Russian Russian asset. Even uh, Bernie Sanders came out and said that as well, so... Um, but oh, let me go ahead and hop into a couple of polls that I, that I found. Though there was a CNN Democratic presidential nomination poll um, that came out on the October twenty third. So that was yesterday, and it has Biden at thirty four percent, nineteen percent for Warren, Sanders at sixteen percent, Buttigieg at six percent, Harris at six percent, O'Rourke three percent, Klobuchar three percent, Gabbard one percent, Yang two percent. This is a CNN poll. It's surprising to me that this poll has Pete Buttigieg so low. That was weird. So there's a thousand respondents from October 17th to October 20th. And as a plus or minus 3.7% um, is the standard of error. So it's a pretty high standard of error per se. Almost 4% standard of error. But that's kind of normal in these polls when you're doing a thousand, when you're only interviewing a thousand people but it has Pete Buttigieg so low at six percent I figured he'd be doing better because the press really did boost him up as like the guy to beat you know uh he won the debate but Joe Biden clearly up 15 points on Elizabeth Warren and Sanders is still kind of neck and neck but I think a lot of people went away from Sanders for a while but now it looks like they might be coming back economist YouGov poll that one's been showing Biden pretty low it actually, the last time it came out, it showed Warren beating Biden, but this one, it shows Biden 24%, Warren 23%, Sanders 16%, and Buttigieg 8%, Gabbard 2%, Booker 3%, Yang 3%, Harris 5%. And then this is South Carolina pres- presidential uh, primary. Biden 33%, Warren 16%, Sanders 12%, Harris 6%, Tom Steyer at 4%. Beating Buttigieg, Booker, Yang. Whoa, that's crazy. He's moving on up, man. He really is. He might be in that next debate. Massachusetts got Warren, 33%. Biden, 18%. Sanders, 13%. So Warren's clearly going to win Massachusetts. But that's a later and later poll as well. So that's not really that that big of a deal. But that's interesting that um, Buttigieg is not actually moving up in the polls like I thought that he would. Um, I did call him the sleeper, and I, I still think he is, man. He's going to have some good showings coming out there in the next debates as well, especially as it narrows down like five or six people. As long as Joe Biden doesn't do anything too crazy, he might end up uh, taking this thing, but we'll see. I still think Buttigieg is probably going to be a pretty strong candidate, though. Uh, but, you know, don't mark my words. I'm probably only about half right on most of the things that I ever say. My wife will attest to that. But anyway, guys, hey, um, one thing I always want to say is this, and this is something that I think is pretty important, okay? Our politicians, and I say this constantly, but I just want to get this message through. 
And I haven't said it in a while either, so that's why I'm going to say it today. Our politicians, the ones that are getting elected, the ones that are running, they are only responding to what they hear people wanting, right? Because they're just there to get elected. They're going to, if they see a problem and then other people see that problem, they're going to say, I can fix that problem. Me, trust me, I can fix that problem. And then more people bring more problems to that can't, that politician as well. Yeah, but I can fix that too. Next thing you know, he has all kinds of promises of what he's going to fix. Then he gets elected in the office and he's going to try to be a fixer of all these different problems. He's going to try to, what can I do? I can take money from this and give it to that. Because that's all he can do. I can pass laws on this so that we can make this happen. But the only reason why the politicians keep saying, hey, I'm going to do this, I'm going to fix this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to get Medicare for all for you, I'm going to get, I'm going to fight for you so you can have better unions, I'm going to fight for you so you can get $15 minimum wage, all these things that are probably going to bankrupt the nation, or possibly bankrupt the nation, all these things that are not good for the economy, all these things that are going to get us worse health care rather than better health care. All these things, especially like Medicare for all, yeah, we might get slightly better health care for a time, for a period of time. It's possible. It really is possible. But then again, over time, it becomes a political issue because of political football. Every politician is running on that. But the only reason why they're running on these things, guys, there's only one reason is because other people are demanding it. Other people are saying, I think government should do those things. I think that our government should be all encompassing. I don't think we should have a limited government. I think we should have a government that does more, that covers more things, that that takes care of more of our problems. People have confidence somehow. I don't know how they have confidence in the government. They do. Especially the younger people. They somehow, they think that the government is great and grand and can do all kinds of things and all they got to do is pass a law to get everything to turn us into a utopia. Let's pass the utopia law where the world's going to be in a utopia where food rains from the skies. That's what politicians will promise because that's what people demand. What we need to do as libertarians is start showing people the ineptitudes of our government, the the fact that our government, when it does things, it does it over budget. Whenever they say it's going to cost $5 billion, it's really going to cost $15 billion. And if they say it's going to take a year, it's really going to take three years. They come in over budget in a longer amount of time, like everything they do is that way. It's just the way that government runs. It's inefficient. That's what we need to do. We need to start focusing our attention on sharing liberty with people. Kind of pulling the veil away so that people can see that the government is inept at everything it does, especially on the wars. That's one thing that most people can agree on. We can get people to agree with us on those then we could bring that home to them as well. But that's what we need to do is start changing the culture. We need to start changing the way that people interact with their government, the expectations that they have of their government. And if people have lower expectations of the government in the sense of lower demands on the government, politicians will run on that. Think about the Tea Party movement in 2009-2010. I think it was like 2008-2014 to is when they were the strongest, right? 
Think about the Tea Party movement. There was a huge movement, gigantic movement of people who just wanted government to be fiscally responsible. They put aside a lot of those differences. You had Marco Rubio in Florida. I remember this specifically. Marco Rubio was running as the Tea Party candidate in 2010. Not exactly the most fiscally conservative guy. Kind of like a war hawk. Never seen a war that he doesn't love. Wants more, you know, more embargoes placed on Cuba. He does not want the Cuban people to have any trade relationships with America. He has, I mean, he's not exactly the a fiscal hawk by any means. But he ran as a Tea Party conservative at the time. And the Tea Party movement kind of faded out over time. So these politicians that got in were able to get in there and do that. But if we kept the Tea Party movement going, and this not we, but if the Tea Party movement kept going, where we demanded of those politicians to be fiscally conservative, strong fiscal conservatives, change, change agents within Congress and within the Senate, if we held those people accountable... Like Thomas Massey, like he was one of those people as well that got into Congress at the time. Rand Paul came into Congress around that time as well on that Tea Party wave. At least a few of them have stayed fiscal conservatives. A lot of them have, you know, the House Freedom Caucus started at that time. Now it's all gone away, though, because people are not demanding that of their government. But if we change the culture and force that issue all the time, remain consistent about it. And we start changing other people's minds. We get a rally going. We get a movement moving forward of libertarian thinking. Then those politicians will conform to that. They really will. We saw it with the Tea Party movement. But as that Tea Party movement faded, so did the politicians holding themselves accountable to that movement because no longer are those votes there. The Tea Party votes aren't there anymore. But if they still were there, these politicians would be forced to remain fiscally conservative following that Tea Party mantra. That's it. So that's what we need to do, though. We need to build that kind of movement, guys. The Ron Paul revolution that happened around that time as well, that's one of the things that catapulted like a Thomas Massey or a Rand Paul or some of these other, you know, more libertarian-leaning Republicans, that's what catapulted them into office as well. And they stay in office, and a lot of them, they still do really good things up there. They vote no on everything. They're like a Ron Paul-type conservative. And Ron Paul started a movement, I, th- I can't remember what it was called, but it was, um, I can't remember the, what the movement's called, but there was a movement to try to get more Ron Paul type conservative or Ron Paul type libertarian Republicans into office. And I'd like to see that that type of movement go forward again. But all we do a lot of times, we just bicker and fight amongst each other. And what we need to do is stop that and start figuring out ways to bring more people in the fold, start getting our message across, introducing more people to liberty. That's what we should do. That'll change the culture They'll change the demands that people have of their government. It'll force the politicians to give in to the demands of the people, which is leave me the hell alone.
That is the libertarian way, kind of, right? Leave me alone. Don't hurt people. Don't take their stuff. Just, you know, live and let live in some ways. Obviously, there's rules. Obviously, there's things that we do. And we, as a society, we, you know, follow certain rules and things that we follow. But we don't need the government to tell us every single thing that we do. I was thinking about this the other day. Like, the more rules and laws that you have, the more likely it is that, like, for example, you have a taillight out, your tint's too dark, you have a bumper that's a little bit loose on the back of your car, you have a license plate that's expired, you have smoke billing out of your window, and you're just driving down the road, right? There's a lot of reasons for a cop to pull you over. But if those rules and regulations weren't there, are you any less safe by that driver driving down the road with a taillight out mm, probably not that bumper's a little bit loose mm, probably not the, the tags expired probably not less safe smoke milling out the window unless it's weed but then again because I don't think that you should be driving high by any means just like you shouldn't be driving drunk you probably drive better high than you do drunk I, I, probably, I do agree with that too but you know if you're just smoking a cigarette driving down the road cops shouldn't be pulling you over for that either like, but it just gives the cops more reason to pull you over. And that's like that's the way it is with every law as well. So do we really need all those laws and regulations? No. People are going to be getting along pretty well despite government. It's not like I don't just, like I'm sitting there, you know, at the soccer field earlier today, right? Sitting there at the soccer field earlier today. And uh, there's like a ro- rows of like 15, 20, 30 cars sitting there. All of them empty. You know, I'm not gonna sit there and just go rob the cars because, and like my the only reason why I don't rob the cars because I might go to jail for it. No, I don't rob the cars because I don't want to rob cars. You know, am I gonna walk up and punch them in the face? And the only reason why I don't is because I might go to jail. No, it's because I don't want to punch people in the face. Like people get along with each other naturally. People just naturally will get along. There are those people that are out there that are the bad actors, and then you know you have people that people to deal with those types of people as well the police officers and so forth you know you get into the complete free society you know the the utopian libertarian society and that person just might be banished from your area or whatever but um like excommunicated type thing but um we don't live in that type of world you're gonna have police officers in some ways but we would need a whole lot less police officers they weren't out there just trying to find speeders and find people that have tags that are expired and have um, headlights that are out. You'd have a whole lot less cops and a whole lot less need of cops in that situation. If you didn't have a drug war, things like that. So, But we need to change the culture. That's what I always say. Change the culture and that politicians will follow. They absolutely will, guys. So um, I appreciate all of you that continue to listen to the show every single day. Uh, this is a Monday through Friday show, so uh, if you want to subscribe, you can hear the show that comes out tomorrow. You can also listen to the 210 episodes I have previous to this if you subscribe. Go ahead and check some of those out. There's some good topics out there as well. And then um, IonTheEmpire.com is my website. I'm the Empire on Facebook, on Twitter as well. You can also email me if you want to, ray at IonTheEmpire.com. Uh, supporting the show is easy. You can do that at my website, IonTheEmpire.com. But you can also do that at anchor.fm slash ion2020. Uh, have different levels that you can donate at if you want to. Subscribe. And uh, 
The best thing you can do, though, is tune in every day so you'll have clear vision for 2020. Okay, it's official. First Year in Sales with Ray Eaton. The website is up, firstyearinsales.com, as well as the podcast, First Year in Sales. So, if you know somebody or if you happen to be in sales, you might as well go ahead and check this thing out, right? Because it is going to help you become a better salesperson by grounding you with the habits and the skills needed to be successful in sales, especially in your first year. But even if you're not in your first year, might as well check it out because then you'll be able to get back to the basics and getting back to the basics is key in sales. I've always felt that way. So go ahead and check it out. First year in sales is ready and it's a podcast and you can do firstyearinsales.com.